part of our church family here. Tonight we are looking, as Jared read a moment ago, from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, in the passage that Jared read that prefaced that, Jesus said, All authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then the marching orders to go, therefore, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Tonight I want to talk for a, for a minute or two, a moment or two, about the key to church growth. Now, as we think about our study tonight, I want to just maybe ask a question to some of you that have been around much longer than I and maybe some others in this assembly tonight. Is the church today as strong as it was in years gone by? Is the church today growing as it once did? There was a time in the history of churches of Christ in this country in which people were being added to the body of Christ daily. There was a lot of preaching, teaching, many debates that were taking place. As a result of that, thousands of people became members of the body of Christ. This area of land that we occupy was once known as the Bible Belt. I'm not sure if that's the case today, but it was some years back. So my question is, what happened or what has happened? Why is it that we're not growing as we once did? Now, I would grant that we are living in a society that has changed in many ways. America today is not what it once was in the 40s and 50s, and so we have to take that into account. There was a time in this country when people, by and large, were interested in spiritual things. Now, I think that there are still people in our world today that are interested in things that are eternal in nature, but possibly not as much as they once were. I had a friend of mine that used to say, people tend to handle adversity better than prosperity. It might be the case that in our country, we have been blessed monetarily and material to, materially to the extent that we've come to the conclusion that we really don't need anything else, that we're satisfied with where we are satisfied with our status in life. And so there's no yearning for the spiritual dimension of life. What I want to do tonight in our lesson is very simplistic. First, I want to go back and look at the past. Examine the first century church. And then to jettison forward and to examine the present, the 21st century church. I want to begin as we think about the past. There are lots of things that we can learn from the past. But as has been noted in days gone by, 
If there is anything we've ever learned from the past, it's we haven't learned from the past. Sometimes we fail to learn from history, don't we? But go back and look at what the Bible has to say about the first century church. In Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, isn't He? And on the eve of ascending to heaven, He gives those marching orders, the divine command, to go therefore and to evangelize, number one. And then number two, to edify. Therein lies the twofold work of the Lord's church, to evangelize and to edify. So when Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to understand that He is saying that we are to baptize in the name of or by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, why would that be? Well, to understand first and foremost that the Father is the originating cause of salvation. The Son is the sacrificial cause of salvation, and the Holy Spirit is the revealing cause of salvation. And they all work in harmony with one another. They're on the same page. Now, in Mark's account, Mark would say, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Luke says in his account that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name, that is in the name of Christ, unto all nations beginning where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the originating point of the church that God had foretold of through the prophets. For example, you remember Isaiah the prophet foresaw the day in which the church would be established. It would be an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. And he said the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. So they had the task, the command, to evangelize. But then secondly, to edify. Why was edification so important? Well, Jesus said, I want you to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so... If people are going to be what they ought to be, then they've got to know the fundamentals of the faith. God's Word supplies us with what we need to know to be saved and to stay saved. And so we want to live a steadfast, immovable life in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a second thing I want to share with you. First, the command. Secondly, the compliance. Go back and look at the early church. Were they compliant to the teaching of the Lord? Did they fulfill the task at hand? You remember, for example, I want to just share with you something. I want you to just maybe look at the book of Acts with me for a moment. I want you to see something as we contemplate the growth of the early church. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the gospel. We have a record of his sermon. Don't have a record of the other apostles. But we do have what Peter preached on Pentecost Day. The Bible says in verse 41, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. Verse 47 says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, having said that, turn over if you would and look at chapter 4. In Acts 4, verse 
2, the Bible says that the people were greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The message that they preached resonated in the hearts and lives of people, didn't it? Jesus talked about that honest and good heart in Luke chapter 8. When the seed of the kingdom is planted in the right kind of soil, the right kind of heart, it will always germinate and bring forth fruit. And so in verse 4, here's what the text says. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. What's going on here? The church is growing, isn't it? Now in chapter 4, we have a record of Peter and John being called before the Sanhedrin Council. We've looked at this within the last couple of weeks. And you remember in verse 31, the Bible tells us that Peter and John rehearsed the events that took place after having healed that man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem and being called before the Sanhedrin Council, commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Christ. Their response was, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. So they pray for boldness. Now look at verse 31. They spoke the word of God with boldness. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Look at verse 32. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Look over chapter 5. Note if you would in verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. What's happening? Church is growing by leaps and bounds. Note the latter part of chapter 5. Again, the Sanhedrin Council. Down in verse 28. They said to the apostles, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Now look at verse 29. Peter and the other apostles, they responded, and here's what they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. They were not going to back down and recant the faith. They were not going to compromise, concede. But rather they had a message that was burning in their hearts and they had to share it. Look at the latter part of chapter 5. The Bible says, the Sanhedrin Council, they called for the apostles, verse 40, they beat them, commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now here's my question. How's that worked out for them so far? They give a command, but what do the apostles do? Do they give ground back to the Sanhedrin Council? Absolutely not. The text says in verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name and daily in the temple. Now note, and in every house, they did not cease preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ. Two thoughts here. Number one, the early church preached the gospel publicly. And number two, they shared the gospel privately from house to house. If it worked then, it'll work today, won't it? Now look over in chapter 6. In verse 7, the Bible says, The word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Look over in chapter 8. Again, persecution taking place. And the Bible says in verse 4, those who were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. What are they doing? They're sowing the seed of the kingdom. Look at verse 5. Philip goes down to Samaria, preaches Christ to them. All right. What then are the results of this? 
Note verse 12. They believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Now we could continue to go through the book of Acts, but you get the point. These folks believed deeply in Christ. And they understood that they had a message that would save the human family from sin and unrighteousness. And so they did everything within their power to preach and teach the gospel, even amidst unfavorable circumstances. A little bit later, you remember the Apostle Paul when he was in Corinth? And the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. Why? Because God recognized that there were many people living in Corinth. And you know what they needed? They needed to hear the saving message of the gospel of Christ. And Luke said, Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So there is success story after success story throughout the book of Acts. Now, having said that, let's just think for a moment or two about the present. Examining the 21st century church, in your estimation, when you look at the church as a whole, now we talk about individual congregations, but then from an aggregate sense, we could talk about the universal church. Do you think in the church of Christ that we are gaining ground or losing ground? I was talking just this past week about a congregation in another city that many, many years ago they had probably 1,500 members. I mean, they were blowing and grow, blowing and going and growing. Today, they're probably half or less than half of that. Now, I would grant that they've lost a lot of people by way of death, attrition. But that same scenario or example is being played out in congregations all over our brotherhood. There are congregations that when I first came to town were alive and well. And guess what? They're gone. Some are on life support, barely holding on, barely meeting their expenses. They have very little manpower to get the gospel out. So let's just talk for a moment or two about the daunting task of evangelism. I noted in my study that we live in a world of almost 8 billion people. 8 billion people. Can you imagine that? I can't wrap my mind around 8 billion people. And Jesus said, I want you to go and to teach, listen to Him, all nations. And not just teach, but I want you to make disciples of these people, to become followers of mine. So how are we going to make that happen? It's a daunting task, isn't it? Somewhat overwhelming when you think about it. Well, to understand two things. Number one, we all have a personal responsibility to evangelize. Now, 
You might say, well, I'm not the local preacher. I'm not, a pre I'm not a preacher, but you're a disciple, aren't you? You're a member of the body of Christ. We are all ministers of Christ, aren't we? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 25? So, we all have personal responsibility when it comes to teaching. But then, secondly, there is personal accountability. Did you know that God is going to hold you accountable? He'll hold me accountable for what I do or don't do with this message right here that we call the gospel. And I would just say right up front, I find it a whole lot easier to stand before a group of people and preach or teach than I do to sit down with somebody and one-on-one -on -one teach. That might be that you would much rather teach somebody in a very private setting. But the key is we have to teach. We've got to look for opportunities, outlets, to share the gospel of Christ. Now, with regard to responsibility and accountability, I want you to see something. Go back with me, if you would, to the great prophet Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 33, God said to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman on behalf of the children of Israel. So, that being said, let's just look at Ezekiel chapter 33 and make some application. Look at verse... 1, chapter 33. Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak, in the, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees a sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he's taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now note verse 7. Here's the application that God is making to Ezekiel. He said, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. Do we have the responsibility today to warn people, to teach them, to try to share with them the gospel of Christ? Now listen to what he said. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So what's the point here? to see ourselves as a watchman on the wall. 
to understand that we have responsibility and accountability when it comes to talking to people about the Lord. Now one day we're all going to stand before the Lord on judgment. As Paul said, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. Can you imagine standing before the throne of Almighty God? And let's just say that there are people that you, have, that you had interacted with throughout the course of your life. You spent time with them, you ate with them, maybe you went hunting with them, you fished with them, whatever. But you spent a lot of time with them. And they stand before the throne of God, and they never obeyed the gospel, and you knew the gospel, and they look over at you and say, why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you say anything to me? Why didn't you share the gospel with me? Is that not what the Lord's saying to the prophet? You have the I have the responsibility to share a divine message. If I tell them what the book says and they disregard that, then the blood's on their hands. But if I fail to discharge my duty, the blood's on my hands. Let me give you a New, a New Testament example of what I'm talking about. Turn over, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. Look at the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. You remember the Apostle Paul has called the elders of the church from Ephesus, or rather from Ephesus to Miletus to meet with him. And he talks about how he had spent time among them and taught them and served the Lord with all humility and in many tears and trials. Verse 19. But drop down and note, if you would, what he says beginning in verse 24. In verse 22, he talked about going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that would befall or happen to him. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. But look at verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul saying, look, if you folks are lost, the blood's not on my hands, it's on your hands. I have fulfilled my responsibility. As a Christian, could I do a better job teaching? Yes. Could I do a better, a better job preaching the gospel again? The answer is yes. I, like you, know my weaknesses and frailties. And I know my limitations. And when it comes to a private setting, I'm just telling you right up front, I do not feel as comfortable as I do in a public setting. I just don't. That's just me. But the key is to do what we can do as long as we can, wherever we can, for the cause of Christ. Now, listen to what Paul went on to say, verse 27. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And Paul there 
saying to the elders of the church at Ephesus, look, I have preached to you the whole counsel of Almighty God. I didn't shun any subjects, tough subjects. didn't turn my back on those. And James talks about those of us who teach. We're going to be judged based upon what we teach and in some instances what we do not teach. So, it is without question a daunting task. But there are a diversity of tools made available to us so that we might engage in evangelistic efforts. Well, how so? Think about where we are today compared to where the Apostle Paul was. We have communication unparalleled. We have transportation again. Think about it, the modes of transportation available in this country. So you got communication and transportation, the internet. We reach people all over the world through the internet. Now, again, eight billion souls. We don't have the manpower to go door to door, do we? But we can use the internet, we can use television, radio, the printed page. See, there are so many tools available to us. And look, you don't have to, you don't have to be some great teacher to share the gospel. You can invite somebody to services. You can ask somebody if they'd be willing to take a Bible correspondence course. You could share with somebody a CD, a DVD series. You could set up a meeting with somebody and get Jared, myself, one of the elders, one of the deacons, to go with you to study with somebody. The key is to use the tools that are available to us. we got a lot of means available to us. Methodology. Things are different. And granted, some of the methods that were used in days gone by are not as effective as they are today. But that doesn't mean we just throw in the towel and say, well, you know what, we can't do anything about it. No, we've got to use the means that are available to us. It's my conviction that when you talk about radio, television, the Internet, social, all these various forms of communication, do you think that those things were created merely for the pleasure of the human race? Or is it possible that God in His providence has brought these things to fruition so that we might use them to advance His cause in a lost and dying world. Which really brings up an interesting thought. Is it possible that one of the reasons in the church today we're not growing like we were in days gone by because we really don't believe people are lost and dying in sin. Is that, a, is that a possibility? I can tell you this. There are a lot of people in the Lord's church as we speak that sadly do not understand the magnitude of sin and the consequences thereof. It might be the case that from a public venue, our preaching and teaching has become so non-distinctive 
and soft that people really don't know what they need to do. They don't know what to believe about the church. In many places, in their heart of hearts, they think the church is just one among many. They don't see a difference between the church of Christ and denominationalism. Let me tell you what, when people fail to discern the, dif the difference and the distinction between the church and denominationalism, it will hinder evangelism. And you know why? Because people don't think they're lost. Now look, the Bible is always right. And we've got to be willing to submit to the authority of Scripture. And to understand that the Word of God is very distinctive when it comes to how to become a Christian. The church, as revealed in the Bible, very distinctive. There is a lot of preaching and teaching in churches of Christ tonight that could be preached in any denomination in town. And if you don't believe me, just get on the internet and listen to some of the sermons and just observe what's going on in some places. And I tell you this, it is shocking. Sometimes not just what you hear, but what you don't hear. So when I see people who are quote-unquote members of the body of Christ leave a congregation and go to a quote-unquote community church, or begin affiliating with the denomination, you know what that says to me? They do not know what the truth of Almighty God says. Why? Because if they did, they would never do that. And we live in a woke society, in a soft society. And I know that there are people today, they do not want to hear book, chapter, and verse. Agreed? It's just true. I was in a meeting this past year. It was a large church, really strong elders. The last night of the meeting before services began, we were eating dinner. One of the elders turned to me and he said, you know what? He said, you couldn't preach like this in some places. I said, I know that. I know that. Now, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that's the truth of the matter. There are a lot of churches today, they would choke on the Word of God because they don't know what the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible says, preach the Word. So there are a diversity of tools made available to us. So there's a third thing. The dangerous threat to evangelism. There are two reasons I believe we're not evangelizing, at least two reasons. Number one is preoccupation. And number two is procrastination. We have become so preoccupied with life itself that we've forgotten what's really important in many cases. That's not to say that everybody's like that, but I'm just saying in some quarters... Folks are so busy taking care of the things of this day and time, they just don't have time. And so evangelism gets pushed to the back burner. And so this idea of 
preoccupied, and then procrastination. Let me tell you about a man that I talked to some years ago. And he was extremely concerned about his sister because he was a member of the church and she was not. Her health was declining rapidly. In his concern and fear, he was trying to reach out and get someone to talk to her about the gospel. The sad truth of the matter, it was too late. Waited too late. We can procrastinate. There might be people that we intend to talk to about the gospel. I mean, in our heart of hearts, we fully believe that in time we're going to talk to them. But we just never get around to it. So, to make hay while the sun shines, to understand that we're not promised tomorrow. As Solomon said, who knows what a day may bring forth. There are a lot of people, I suspect, who are in eternity tonight that are lost. And somebody, maybe it was a friend, a family member, intended to talk to them about the gospel. They just, not, they just never got around to it. My prayer is that we do not let that happen to us. But we seize the opportunities. Here's what Paul said, redeem the time because the days are evil. Just don't know what's around the corner. So, what about the divine truth when it comes to evangelism? What's the hardcore truth about Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Here it is. The Lord said go. And I would underline this. He expects us to go. The Lord Jesus gave this command and He expects us to fulfill it. No exceptions, no excuses. That's hard. When you boil it down, that's a tough thing to think about. There will be no exceptions. There will be no excuses. Either we do what we can or we don't. Now, here's the good thing. We have no control over what people do with the Word once they hear it. But we have the responsibility of sharing the Word. Paul raised the question in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55 that God's Word will not return to Him void. It will accomplish the intended purpose. We have to have faith in this book, in the gospel of Christ, that this book will do the job God says it will do. It has the ability to bring about change in the hearts and lives of people. But we can't sow what we don't know, and people will never know if we fail to discharge 
our responsibility. Listen to what Jesus said again. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. That's every continent. That's every person. Every person in this world ought to have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. It might be in some congregations, rather than focusing outward, we're too focused inward. Don't misunderstand. I think that there are things that are needed internally. But the task before us is enormous. And to fail, that is not an option. I'd like to think that when we meet God one day on the judgment, that we can say to the Lord that we did our best to share His Word in a kind and loving way. We tried to be that watchman on the wall. Were we perfect? No. Did we fail from time to time? Probably. But the key is we continue to do what we can, when we can, where we can, as long as we can. And so tonight, you want to see the world change for the better? You want to see this country change? There's only one way to bring it about, and that is to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer, isn't it? I can tell you about a preacher that I have come to respect and appreciate. His name was Jonah. Jonah had the responsibility of going to Nineveh, that great city, and preaching to those people. Let me tell you what, there were tremendous results. God's Word didn't return to Him void. So tonight, I want to encourage us, to the best of our ability, to duplicate what occurred in the first century. Let's just have their passion, their zeal, their desire, their love, their goal. Christ in you, as Paul said, the hope of glory. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Every time we meet, we give the plan of salvation. We tell people what to do to become a Christian because God wants people to be saved. It's not just some rote thing that we go through week to week. But we say these things because we want people to obey the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So what would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're here tonight, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. Maybe you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason. We would be more than happy to pray with you, to pray for you. Maybe you want to be more dedicated to the, to the cause of Christ and you need the motivation. And you need people that will stand behind you and stand beside you to accomplish that task. We'd be happy to pray for you. Closing, I want to say this. The task before us is enormous, as I said. But it is not impossible. The Lord would never have told us to do something that He did not give us the tools to accomplish it. And He would never require us to do something if He didn't believe we could do it. We are His hands, His mouth, 
his eyes, his feet, his ears. And so as Jesus said, go. Let's go. Let's get the job done as we stand and sing.